So, good evening, everyone. In the teachings, there is a very clear pointing towards um, the human possibility of developing um, wisdom, a very clear seeing into the nature of things, the nature of ourselves. It's a pointing to the possibility of developing the depths of love, compassion, kindness. And there's a pointing to the possibility of uh, skillful action, of ways to respond to what we encounter in our lives. And many of us are no doubt inspired by these potentials and sometimes taste some of that wisdom or open-heartedness and kindness or skill in being with uh, everyday life as well as uh, challenges. There's also a very clear pointing that this uh, potential is blocked by other parts of our experience. And the, the usual way that this teaching is expressed is that we not only have the potential for awakening, but we also have a fair supply of greed, hatred, and delusion. This is sometimes called the human situation. You know, we have that mix and, you know, Sometimes it can feel like a competition as to which of those aspects of ourselves will have the uh, upper hand in a given moment, or a given day, or a given year. But it's actually helpful to point out what stands in the way. We use the metaphor sometimes of our being as like the sun that is always shining, sometimes obscured by clouds. And so it's helpful to identify the clouds. And what I want to do this evening is to identify one of the major clouds that makes uh, wisdom, the kind heart, and being skillful in their action uh, hard or sometimes impossible. It's an area that I've been giving a lot of attention to in my own being and then working with others. And it's uh, what I call the uh, judgmental mind. Anyone know that one well? <laughs> Uh, about about a quarter, about, about an eighth of the group raised their hands. But so, so this may not be relevant to many of you. <laughs> but it's a very powerful energy in our lives, and I want to uh, come very very soon to a definition because that's quite important. What I want to do this evening 
is to talk about the nature of the judgmental mind, how we understand it, how we define it, and how we, um, how we can work with it to transform it. And I find that in, even in many people who've done spiritual practice, sometimes for decades, the judgmental mind can still be strong. I remember meeting a monk who had uh, been practicing for 30 or 40 years, and I asked him uh, what his uh, growing edge was. And he said, you know, I still really want people to like me. And, uh, you know, I get off-center when I feel they don't like me. You know? After years and years of spiritual practice, and also I, I sometimes teach our long retreats where the, some of the most dedicated practitioners are. We have, a, as many of you know, a February and March retreat. And I, when some of the people are so dedicated and so developed in many ways, and the judgmental mind can still be there in considerable force. In a way, it's part of what blocks us from those depths. And so very helpful to look at it and to learn ways of working with it. So I'll talk for a while and then we'll uh, open things up and have some discussion together. So right at the beginning I want to give a definition because the word judgment in English, and I think it's this way in some other languages as well, is, is, uh, can mean many things. And we sometimes talk about judgments as expressions of the judgmental mind, but there are a lot of uses of English in which we use the word judgment to uh, point to something which is not really judgmental. So we can talk about an artistic judgment, or we can talk about the movie critics having a judgment about the film, or we can talk about maybe the engineers having a judgment that the bridge would withstand this level of earthquake, something like that. And we use the word often in English, and I think again, similar in some other languages, to point to something like a discernment or a kind of a non-charged evaluation. Right? And sometimes the word judgment means that. Now, I want to define a judgment that is judgmental as some kind of noticing or discernment that's linked with reactivity. Reactivity is uh, often used in Buddhist settings to mean a kind of compulsive pushing away or grabbing hold that uh, is very much linked with suffering, with difficulty. And in fact, of course, the judgmental mind is very connected with, with suffering. That being judgmental can bring about a great deal of uh, personal suffering. I can judge myself so harshly, right? It can lead to uh, depression or even worse, you know, even to um, something like suicide at times. Interpersonally, 
when we feel someone else being judgmental of us, it can make the relationships hard or impossible. And so many difficulties in human relationships can be linked with expressions of the judgmental mind. And of course, at the social level, we can be judgmental of people who are in certain groups, whether ethnic groups or groups determined by gender, sexual orientation, religion, class, and so forth. And the judgmental mind can be linked with a a great deal of suffering, even violence. And it also comes into the relationships between countries. So very crucial. So the definition is important because it's the reactivity that's really linked with the suffering. So maybe we can think of a, you know, a few examples of the judgmental mind. You know, so so for example, uh, um, you may have had a mild judgment during meditation of a negative kind. I'm a bad meditator. Does anyone have some version of that? Or I'm not meditating so well, right? Or maybe I'm not cut out for meditation. Maybe I should just hug trees all the time. (laughs) So I I would go for a both-and approach to that one. (laughs) So um, we may judge ourselves, I'm not a good meditator, and it can be often be quite harsh. Now the interesting thing about the judgmental mind, I want to define it again as some kind of noticing or even discernment connected with reactivity. It's possible to have the noticing or discernment without reactivity. So another example, I can notice some kind of injustice. Let's say my mind goes to, I don't know, the uh, uh, killing of the young man in Sacramento. Right? My mind goes there, you know, who was in his, what, his grandmother's backyard, right? And I can uh, really say that that was unjust. And it can also be deeply reactive about it. It's one of the occupational hazards of activists. That I can really notice the injustice and then get really reactive about it and be blaming, judging, and so forth. And Interestingly, I've um, done a number of workshops with social activists on transforming the judgmental mind, and some of them are the first to say that it's an issue. Right? Not all of them would, but the ones who came to my workshop did. <laughs> uh, and they said that actually, among activist groups, we may be judgmental of the people we think are opponent, who are our opponents, the people we think are uh, who, my high school English teacher is urging me to get the grammar correct in this <laughs> sentence. The people who are our opponents. Yes, that's pretty good. Okay. So, um, and, but yet, when I've done workshops with them, they say some of our greatest problems is that that habit of being judgmental gets so much into the activist groups, and there's so much uh, infighting, so much being judgmental towards other members of the group. Right, that it's actually a very large issue. So I can be, I can notice something that's very important, like an injustice, 
and I can also be reactive about it and judgmental. Another way, place we could see that is as a teacher. It's actually very important for me as a teacher to notice things about people I work with, right? to notice this or that. And so I might notice, oh, um, that person uh, is uh, learning fairly slowly. Right? Now, if it's just a discernment and I'm not reactive, I use that information for compassionate purposes. Right? And if I'm judgmental, it can be exactly the same content. And I say that, you know, and we can see it so much in the tone of voice, not even just in the words. That person is learning so slowly. Got to shake out the judgment a little bit. But I can, and if, I, if the uh, student picks up on that judgment, uh, the relationship's poisoned. And actually, probably wouldn't last long, right? If the, if the teacher becomes judgmental, and it's, it's felt that way. But you see that you can have the same content, and it's the reactivity. And again, in uh, Buddhist context, we define that reactivity as a kind of compulsive, almost sometimes unconscious or automatic pushing away, or grabbing hold. I'm mostly going to focus on the pushing away. That's the most common that's expression of what we mean by the judgmental mind, but the reactivity could actually be uh, grabbing hold of something. So we could also, in a sense, be judgmental in a positive way. I could do that if I really think, uh, you know, I'm really cool. This is such a great Dharma talk. <laughs> you know, or, you know, I have really good clothes on. You know, something like that. You know, I could really be kind of grabbing hold of something and it would tend to distort things, you know. And so I can have that, mostly although I'll be talking about the more negative expressions of the judgmental mind. So the basic formula that I have found helpful is this. The judgment, the judgment expressions of judgmental mind is a complex mix of some kind of noticing or discernment which in itself could be valuable, linked with reactivity. <coughs> the work of transforming the judgmental mind in that sense is to preserve the discernment and transform the reactivity, thereby using what's, as it were, valuable in the expression of the judgmental mind, what I'm calling the discernment or the noticing, to use that for the purposes of compassionate action. In other words, in our judgments, there's typically, not always easy to see, but there's typically something that's valuable. So this is going against a lot of approaches which you may hear, which I have heard myself from, you know, in different spiritual contexts, in which it's said basically, judgments are the enemy. Get rid of them. Judgments are bad. Yeah, so you, you got what that's doing, right? What, what is that doing? 
judging the judgment, right? <laughs> judging the judger, right? So you got that. So that's a really crucial point because you, you will sometimes hear that message. Judgments are bad, get rid of them. Like any discernment or like any expression of the judgmental mind, there's some discernment there and there's some reactivity, right? So we, we want to approach it. So there are a lot of different tools. In, in a little while, I'll talk about some of the main tools that we can use to transform the judgmental mind. But I want to fill out just a little bit uh, some, of the, uh, some of the expressions of the judgmental mind because I think what's, it's really helpful for us to study this a lot as it manifests in ourselves. We can see it in others. Obviously, we can see it in, at a, in public life. You know, uh, I once worked in the US Congress. Quite a number of expressions of the judgmental mind when I was there, and it's got worse <laughs> since there, you know. And um, very, very strong in a lot of aspects of public life. So you have a sense of how I'm defining judgment. Maybe think of an example for yourself of something that's manifested recently, whether, whether it could just be a mild judgment or something that's not, not the most intense. You know, we, a lot of uh, expressions of judgmental mind occurs during driving, right? Very brief, <laughs> but still some discernment plus reactivity. So see if that formula makes sense when you look at your own judgment. So maybe think of a judgment in the sense of being judgmental that's been there for you in the last day or two. Maybe in your driving on your way here if you drove, <laughs> possibly. And uh, as, I, as we explore how to work with it, you might bring your own example and um, apply some of what we're, we're approaching. Here are two accounts of judgment. This is from a cartoon called, uh, you may know, called Rhymes with Orange. And this cartoon is called The Checklist to Feeling Pathetic. And it has six different blocks in the cartoon. Each of these are expressions of the judgmental mind. Number one, choose someone and compare yourself unfavorably to that person. Anyone ever done that? Okay. Examine your face closely in the mirror. Notice all flaws. Can be other, other body expressions other than the face as well. Right? So how many have, can relate to that one? Okay. How many cannot relate to that one? Okay. Number three, relieve, uh, relive, I'm sorry, relive embarrassing, awful moments that occurred years ago. <laughs> Number four, make a mental note of all the people you regularly disappoint. <laughs> Number five, disregard all compliments, especially from people who supposedly love you. 
in, in the cartoon it shows a woman talking to someone else who says, you look great. And she's thinking, don't patronize me. <laughs> Number six, resign yourself to, re, to uh, believing that from now on this is how you will always feel. Hmm. Another story, just to show uh, an example of the judgmental mind in action. This is from someone who worked with me in a group. Um, I told my 10-year-old and 12-year-old grandkids that I was taking a course on being judgmental. She, she actually meant on transforming being judgmental, but that's how, what she said. Um, I took them to breakfast, and we were sitting at a group table. They started to tease each other, and the 10-year-old granddaughter started to pout and put her head on the table and covered her face. I told her to stop being a drama queen. Later, she told me that by calling her a drama queen, her feelings were hurt, and that I had flunked my judgmental class. <laughs> when she looked on my face, she smiled and said, now we're even. <laughs> so a lot of different expressions of, of the judgmental mind. Um, they're very large. Uh, these expressions are very large in our culture, right, in various ways. Um, and all cultures have issues, but the judgmental mind seems to be strong in a way that I have not found, for example, when I've been in Asian culture, although I think it's developing quickly there, you know. <laughs> um, like, that was from my time in, in Thailand, particularly. Uh, but it, it's very, very strong... And there's also, I think it's important to see, I think I was pointing to this earlier, that there is a social dimension to judgment. Some of our being judgmental of ourselves or others comes from how we've internalized the dominant messages of the culture, and particularly about social groups. You know, that we may have, inter you know, we can, uh, we can interpret sexism, racism, ageism, whatever, as ways that certain messages are strong in the culture and they get internalized. So that we, sometimes knowing it, sometimes not knowing it, can be judgmental of ourselves or others because we've internalized the dominant uh, social messages. And that's true even if we're a member of the group that's singled out for negative treatment. In other words, um, people of color internalize to a certain extent negative judgments or expressions of the judgmental mind in relation to them, and people in the dominant group actually internalize what we might call positive judgments. In other words, a lot of it's un quite unconscious. I'm better than or I'm lesser than. And these, these, these are also forms of the judgmental mind actually that are harder to get at, a lot of it, because a lot of it is on, the, on a more unconscious level. Some of you probably know the work on what's called implicit bias, which is a way of understanding how we internalize these messages. And again, they're internalized by everyone, and it takes some conscious effort to work through them. So that, may, that kind of uh, expression of the judgmental mind 
is important to notice as well. So we can see that the judgmental mind may come from all sorts of sources. It may come from our family experience. <coughs> uh, a, lot of, a lot of us, a lot of our more chronic judgments may have been actually set up in childhood. And some judgments, for example, that in which we might think of ourselves as not okay or be judgmental about some part of our experience. Let's say I get a message when I'm five years old from my parents that anger is bad. Right? Probably a lot of us got that message. Anger is bad. Yeah. Don't be angry. And most five-year-olds or three-year-olds, when they get that message, uh, they internalize it and make it their own because what's the alternative? To keep on being angry and risk getting love and nourishment and so forth. So it's generally internalized by age eight or nine. That kid, when that kid becomes angry, might be judging himself or herself, right? When other kids are angry, bad boy, bad girl, you're angry, right? And it gets internalized, and in a sense, there's something that we might call a limiting belief that's quite unconscious. Anger is bad. That's right there. That's the basis for a certain range of, the of expressions of the judgmental mind. Does that make some sense? And the kid has internalized that, and it doesn't realize that the belief is there. It just takes this as truth. And then at age 30 or age 40, Some friend says, do you have a thing with anger? Right? And begins therapy. <laughs> right? But actually doesn't really know that there's actually been this internalization. So a lot of judgments can come from our family upbringing. You know? Another example, a person who I've worked with, I started working with him when he was in his probably late 50s. And he every morning judged himself harshly. He said, you're going to mess up today. And not coincidentally, he had been diagnosed uh, with depression. And actually when I started working with him was on medication. Right? And had uh, that voice coming every morning. You know, nonetheless, he was, you know, Outwardly, he looked relatively successful with a family, home, regular work, and so forth, but still part of him was very debilitated, as you could imagine. And so, and we, as we worked together, he found that, uh, we found that that voice came from his older brother and his father repeating, you're going to mess up continually from age six, seven, eight, nine, ten, over and over and over again until it was internalized and he didn't even realize what the origin was. Right? And so we worked on that and eventually were able to really uh, transform it. So you can see that there are all these different expressions of the judgmental mind. A lot of them, some of them have a social origin, some of them have a more of a family origin. To some extent, it just becomes a habit. We, we, use, we use the judgmental mind to sort of navigate our, our lives. 
And a lot of us find it really crucial. There, there was one cartoon I liked a lot expressing the, uh, some of the aspects of the judgmental mind. It showed a gravestone with an epitaph. And it, on the epitaph it says, he had the right of way. <laughs> Which point, points to some of the ways that you know, the, we can hold on to our righteousness, right? And it can, can be connected with a lot of suffering. So how to work with the judgmental mind? What are some of the ways we could, can work with it? One thing that I've found is that because the judgmental mind is connected often with very deep structures of the self, it, become, it becomes an area that if we go deeply in it, there can be really major transformation. It's a powerful area. I like some of you know the phrase from Freud, talking about dreams as the uh, royal road to the unconscious. Some of you know that phrase. And I, th- I thought of the judge- work with the judgmental mind as a kind of royal road of transformation. Because if we just look at it and follow the trail, we can go very, very deeply into some of our quite unconscious structures as well as some that are, that are conscious. And it can be extremely powerful in helping us both to relate to ourselves but also to relate to others. So it's a very, very powerful area. And for myself, um, I should say my interest in the judgmental mind came about not simply because it was a good topic. (laughs) Do you get my drift? (laughs) So it actually came out of a period of time when I was finding the judgmental mind very strong in my own life, connected with a lot of suffering, and did a period of work, uh, maybe four or five years of fairly intense work. Some of it was in therapy, some of it was in meditation, some of it was being guided to be more skillful in my interactions with people and to use language differently and so forth. A lot of different dimensions. In fact, when I work with people, I have something like a 12-month curriculum. So it's not a could be done more quickly, but you know, I work I work with groups a lot, and we take kind of one theme a month. But we we can there are, there are a lot of different aspects of, of the work, and so over time I, I have found that there really are um, a number of different tools which are very helpful, and I have found it useful to bring together particularly uh, two approaches. One is approach where you notice the judgmental mind and you keep on looking at it, finding how it works in one's own experience, and then going more deeply. And the other approach is actually developing uh, more awakened qualities. And I'll talk about both of those, because I find that both of those approaches are necessary. One is a more direct approach of studying the judgmental mind, going into it, seeing it more clearly, going beneath the surface, going into the unconscious, where you transform it. A second approach is actually not trying to go into judgments at all, but developing qualities of kindness, compassion, mindfulness, clear seeing, wisdom, and so forth. And both are really crucial. I think that's actually generally true of the practice, such as we do here at Spirit Rock, that they're really these, almost like these two rhythms. On the one hand, 
we go into the hard stuff where we see our greed, hatred, and delusion. We notice that. We notice our habits. We notice our neuroses. A lot of our practice is about that. I don't think we put this so directly into our advertising. I think our advertising basically says, come, be mindful, <laughs> open up your heart, you know, have an expanded mind and so forth. But what, and then you actually meditate and what do you find happening? You find you're happening, you know, you're noticing all your bad habits, right? There's a certain lack of truth in advertising, but well, I don't know. Maybe we should experiment with advertising. Come, learn how to be a connoisseur of your own neuroses. <laughs> Would that, have, would that have brought you here? I don't know. No. How many would come if you had that? Maybe some of you. <laughs> some of you would like. Yeah. So anyway, but, but on the one hand, we go into the hard stuff. We see, our, we see our stuff, right? We see our stuff, our patterns, our habits, and so forth. And on the other hand, we develop beautiful qualities. We develop mindfulness. We develop loving-kindness, we develop more wisdom, ability to see clearly, and sometimes there's even a rhythm, you know, where one is more the focus, and the other, sometimes the other more the focus, but I think there's, there's a way that both are really crucial for transformation, you know. In fact, we can't really go into the hard stuff well unless we have some resources, some tools that let us not simply be taken away by them, not overwhelmed. So, the tools that we can use for the first kind of approach, I sometimes talk about this as a more direct approach as opposed to the more indirect approach of developing awakened qualities. But I think both are really, really crucial and, and I think we need, as we go into the judgmental mind, we need tools from both of these approaches. So what kind of tools are there in the more direct approach? A first tool is, of course, mindfulness very crucial tool, and so if you want to really look at the judgmental mind, uh, mindfulness is really a first tool that we use. Just simply to notice what's there. Simply to notice, oh, another expression of the judgmental mind. I, I remember in my own initial training uh, to be mindful, I would just sit there and say, in, out, and I'd have a judgment, judgment, okay. in, out, judgment. And there'd be a lot of them, you know. And then I had to also start noticing I'm so judgmental. If you're interested in going deeply into the judgmental mind, be really careful for the judge, expression of the judgmental mind that says there are a lot of judgments. It sometimes, sometimes sneaks in there and we don't notice that it's judgmental. Right? Because one of the ways the judgmental mind is so tricky is that it has a, that discernment, right? As it were, it has a piece of the truth. And it kind of says to us, hey, I've got the truth. Whatever else I say doesn't matter because I've got the truth. <laughs> That's how it works in our minds, I think. Does that sound familiar? You know, and so I can beat myself up because what I'm saying has some truth value. So we have, to, we have to watch out for that. So there's a, first, there's a first part of our practice where we really just study all the expressions of the judgmental mind. Get your list of your top five or your top ten. Notice them when they come up. Watch out for the judgments about how many judgments there are. Keep studying them. And 
when we use mindfulness, we really use mindfulness in a few different ways. One of them is simply to give a label, to notice that it's happening. You know, and over time, the noticing of the judgment, when we have developed some of these other tools, can be the alert, ah, oh, a judgment is happening, let me use my tools. Sometimes we notice the judgment and it just goes away. Right? Sometimes it stays and then we can use that other aspect of mindfulness, which is not just to label or to name, but it's actually to explore it, have interest into it, in, interest in the judgment. Some of you know the model of mindfulness that I think was originally developed by Michelle McDonald Smith and popularized by a lot of people like Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock and so forth, called the RAIN method. It stands for different different uh, it's an acronym that in which the R generally stands for recognize. We could say recognize or name. The second is typically acceptance, not in the sense that it's a good thing, but in the sense that, yeah, I'm not going to resist it, it's here, okay? Yes, I'm being judgmental. And then the I, different words used by different people, having interest in it and inquiring or investigating. So this is what I was talking about. If it's there for a while, can I explore the judgment? If I'm sitting there in meditation and I'm remembering a judgment from earlier in the day and I notice it, and it's strong and it lasts for a while, can I notice, okay, what's it like in my body? Really crucial. If we, we, we need to really know when the judgment is present, whether they're the small judgments or the larger ones. I need to be familiar. Can I feel what it's like in the body? And sometimes some of our bigger judgments, even that can appear like where we have a judgment of unworthiness or of self-hatred uh, even, um, if we can be mindful of that, we want to know what does that feel like. The key here is we want to explore the judgments so that we can notice them as soon as possible, as soon as, soon as possible after they arise. So they don't have, as it were, grip on us for a long time. Mindfulness makes it possible to notice the judgmental mind after two minutes rather than three hours. It's a lifesaver, right? Or not three hours, but three weeks, right? right? So the mindfulness and the familiarity with the judgment can be really, really crucial. And to know how it feels in the body can be really important because a lot of the times the judgments appear verbally. And we get where it can be just in this verbal zone. I found for myself that some of my judgments, for example, my hands kind of got clenched, my chest caved in a little bit, and knowing that and studying that, often I notice that before I notice the words. Right? So study how the judgment is in your, how, what the storyline is, what it feels like in the body, what are the emotions connected with the judgment. Really basically hang out with it, hang out with the judgments, that's part of mindfulness. And then we can also start to see what triggers the judgment? You know, is there a sequence? You know, what tends to trigger your judgments? You know, might it be what, when people say something and you become judgmental or do something, what triggers that? So we start to know the pattern of stimulus and, and reaction. 
we get to know that. You know, for me, a key part of my own learning was noticing in working with a uh, person who was like a, a, a um, I say, a boss or a, you know, a higher up in the organization I was with. I very key to me was being in meetings with him and noticing that sometimes I would say something and he would uh, change the subject often to something else, I thought without really acknowledging my point. And I would find myself in that meeting uh, doing what I later called uh, withdrawing to an emotionally distanced place of moral superiority. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? <laughs> right. And so I would, I would notice that in the meetings and started studying it, but it was very helpful for me to know that the stimulus was a sense, he's not hearing me, he's not listening to me. Now other people might just, you know, being judgmental might attack him, right? So each of us have different ways that we deal with something like this. The judgment could be held privately, it could be brought publicly, and so forth. Um, but that was very helpful because I could notice in other situations in my life, the same kind of trigger would lead to judgments, right? I don't think that person's really hearing me or listening to me or, and so forth. And of course, probably a lot of us share that because in a sense, wanting to be heard is so precious uh, for all of us as human beings, right? So that's probably quite a common one. So we use the tool of mindfulness and then it's also possible when we've used mindfulness to start, when we start getting more and more familiar with the expression of the judgmental mind, we may start, and this can take weeks or months to happen, but we may start having a sense of, is there some, almost some, um, something beneath the surface that's driving a lot of my, uh, my judgments? If I have it, you know, it might be, I start to get a sense, oh, I have some view about anger, because I'm, every time someone's angry, or I'm angry, I get judgmental. And is there some sense that I have that anger is bad, right? And I might start to have glimmers of that when I've studied it for some time. Or, you know, the person I talked about earlier who was um, waking up with the message, you're going to mess up today, he might, at a certain point, become conscious of that and realize, like, where did that come from? That's there all the time. And start to have some wondering about, is there some sense of myself beneath the surface, right? And so there are ways, and there are ways of working where we start to go beneath the surface. A lot of our more chronic judgments are driven by what I and other people often call limiting beliefs. They're not beliefs in the sense of being conscious beliefs, but they could be a view that I'm not okay, or this part of myself is not okay, or anger is bad, or, or I will not succeed, or if there's a problem in the, you know, there's a problem around, it's probably my fault. Right? And, and, and there can be a lot of these, you know, a lot of these limiting beliefs. And so we start to get a sense of that, and it's possible to really, uh, and this can take some time, to have some way of accessing them and transforming them. 
and actually living from a different center. In a sense, the old conditioning is, you know, embedded in the neural pathways. We've repeated anger is bad effectively, you know, a few hundred thousand times. It's there in the brain, but we can, because of neuroplasticity, (laughs) the great savior of bad habits, uh, we can actually change those patterns even though they've been repeated a million times. So my student who I worked with was able to change that message, you're going to mess up today, in a relatively short time. Within a year or two, that was not dominant. You know, so it's possible. It can go beneath the surface and actually transform these limiting beliefs. I think of a personal nature, and I think something similar, although it's not as developed, can be done with the social judgments. You know, we're still trying to learn how to do that. You know, with with the what is sometimes called implicit bias. Right? That's not. We don't know fully how to do that yet. So then we, we can work with uh, the mindfulness, the clear seeing, there's a lot more we could unpack there. Then the other set of tools are connected with this more indirect approach, where we develop uh, beautiful qualities. We develop the kindness, the compassion, the mindfulness, the wisdom. And what I find is that this is just as crucial as going deeply into the judgmental mind. In fact, we can't really do that without developing a lot of these beautiful qualities. I sometimes talk about them as awakened qualities. You know, qualities of the kind heart or compassion. A lot of them are heart practices, forgiveness. You know, the person who had that view, I'm going to mess up today, he found working with joy particularly helpful. He took uh, my colleague James Barris's awakening joy class. How many of you have taken that class? Probably some of you. And he took that class, he loved the practices, he did them regularly, and it got to the point after he really knew that voice, you're going to mess up today, whenever that voice would come in, sometimes he would um, you know, be a little bit what um, direct and say, get out of here. <laughs> or sometimes, but this was on, once he had already explored a lot, sometimes he'd say, thank you, None today, please. And, but, he, but more often he would say, um, thank you, I'm going to joy. And he would actually invoke joy when the judgmental voice would come in. And he'd be able to go there. Again, it's dependent on it not being out of aversion, you know, or not being, he had explored it. He wasn't, he, if it was important for him to look into it, he would, but it was more like being skillful. You know, let's not go there. Right? Let's not go there. And the, the, the hanging out with joy helped to shift his center of gravity. And so some of these beautiful uh, qualities, they are very crucial for working with the judgment of the mind in a few ways. First of all, in the moment, they can help us to shift. We, in Buddhist practice, we call these antidotes. In other words, something difficult comes up sometimes, particularly when it's either very strong, or we know it really, really well and just don't want to go there, we can actually shift the energy. So something like, he would be able to shift it, let's go to joy. We can do that, for example, with loving kindness. If the loving kindness is strong enough, 
we can actually go there. And the, the legend is that loving kindness was originally developed as an antidote to fear. Right? So fear arises, maybe with judgments. You bring in loving kindness and it can actually, partly because it's a concentration practice, it can shut out the judgment. Again, that is something that we do at times, not the only way we work with judgments, but the uh, awakened qualities have that power, sometimes of shifting the energy. That was the way it was with this, with this uh, fellow, with uh, the voice, you're gonna mess up. And then we can also, over time, hang out more and more in a non-judgmental space. That's also what he did, hang out more and more with joy, so you find that the judgmental voice is actually not pointing to the totality of me, that we hang out with awakened qualities and we start shifting the very center of gravity in our being. We realize, oh, a big part of me is joyful, awake. This is a lot of what our practice does. We, you know, and so for some people, the transformation away from the judgmental mind is by going into it, working with it, <clears throat> you know, inquiring, doing some hard work. For other people, probably the more key factor is hanging out in these places where we're non-reactive, non-judgmental, more awake, more loving, more kind, more joyful. And the hanging out there has an effect because it basically tells us something that uh, we haven't learned before. I think we have to do both because the, the mindfulness, the judgment, really, really crucial. And so the other, the other important quality of these awakened qualities is that the, they, um, they permit us to go into the hard stuff. They give us resources for being with the hard stuff, which we need, you know, you know that we, you know, and sometimes we need to just go back to the uh, awakened quality. I remember one person I worked with was doing a lot of mindfulness practice around family gatherings. <laughs> and a lot of judgments were coming up and a lot of practice, which was taking her into a painful territory. She came to me after a month of doing that and said, this is too much. I said, how about a month of joy? <laughs> she said, yes, that's good. And so actually it's a way to focus it, you know, to sometimes work with the awakened qualities. So this is um, a deep conditioning that we have. There's a cultural dimension, there's some, often a family dimension, there's a um, relationship to our own personal wounds. It's a deep territory. For a lot of us, the voices of the judgmental mind make it harder to access our own kindness, our own wisdom, as I've suggested. So it's a really crucial work to be done. And I think one of the, uh, sometimes I think in the Tibetan tradition, it's uh, a common practice to do what are called preliminary practices before you go more deeply into sort of the core practices. And one does a whole series of preliminary practices. And sometimes I think that 
we have our Western version of preliminary practices. And I think that one of the, one of the pre core preliminary practices, and maybe it's not so preliminary, it's actually in some ways advanced, is to work with and transform the judgmental mind. And it can really be a way of um, not letting that conditioning dominate us. It can be a way of working with some of the major forms of pain in some of our lives that makes our own being comfortable in our own skin hard, that can make many of our relationships hard, and that's very connected with social conflict and polarization. So I see it as really a very crucial capacity in all of the, all of the domains of our life. Let me finish just with, and we'll open things up. Let's see. Yeah, I'll finish with a, a poem, one of my favorite poems, by uh, Pablo Neruda. If each day falls inside each night, then there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. So thank you for your uh, kind attention. And we have some time for any observations or questions. And uh, again, there, there, are mics, uh, there are mics on either side. I guess you can just go uh, walk to the mic. I think that's the usual way we do it. Or do you bring them around? You bring them around, that's, that, that's a little bit better. So any, we have one here and I think one in the back, yeah. I was wondering if you could expand a bit on um, kind of the difference between discernment and judgment. Are you saying that judgment has a reactivity component that's problematic? Or yeah. when is it, I guess I'm trying to work out when is it uh, wise discernment and when does it stray into um, right. full judgment? Right. Yeah. So I'm really, in a way, with uh, talking about discernment and judgment in the sense of being judgmental and really giving definitions. One, we could use different words or because judgment is used as an English word and sometimes meaning judgmental, sometimes not, it's ambiguous. So, you know, we might invent a whole other word that expresses judgmental, but I'm using the word judgment there and I'm, I'm also defining discernment as non-judgmental non, and non-reactive, right? And so, how do we, it's a good question, how do we know that uh, a given expression is reactive and judgmental, right? And so I mentioned earlier, we can't know simply by the words used. That I remember I gave the example of myself as a teacher, I can say that person is learning slowly and it can be compassionate and really be a guide to being skillful with that person. 
I can also say, that person is learning slowly. I don't know if that, how judgmental that was, but, but, but you, you, you can hear. So you look, so in real life, you look for the tone, right? You look for whether there's, it's sarcastically said, right? So a lot of subtle cues, it's interesting. And a lot of people would, would actually uh, be judgmental and then they would take uh, refuge and say, oh, no, you're being too sensitive. Anyone had that happen? Right? You're being too sensitive that uh, I'm, you know, I'm not really being judgmental. So we know from the tone of voice. Of course, sometimes we know from the words, right? Certain kinds of words, like we, as a teacher, I wouldn't probably say you're an idiot. That few discernments <laughs> would use certain kinds of language. So we, we would also want to look out for words like always and never. Right? That would typically be connected with some exaggeration would be part of being judgmental. What would some other, you know, what occurs to you as other ways that we can see uh, an expression as judgmental? Like I'm, I'm talking about tone of voice, sarcasm, exaggeration, selectivity would be a way. I'm just focusing on one part of what you did and I'm totally ignoring three quarters of it, right? That, would, that could be a sign of uh, being judgmental. What else, anything else occur to you? You can just speak up, and I'll, I'll repeat it. They don't understand, like, worse. Yeah. Com- sometimes, uh, some comparisons might, yeah. But I mean, in, even in just how do we know something is judgmental as opposed to simply discerning? Facial expression. What? Facial expression. Yeah, facial expression, right? Very good, yeah. Facial expression, tone of voice, body language. Sometimes the words, sometimes not. So it's subtle, right? And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, does that start to get at it? So it's really, and we, we, we are extremely sensitive for when we're judged, right? We can pick up on that so easily. We're really sensitive creatures. That if, like I say, I think what we most want, I, see, if, see if this resonates, is to be heard, listened to, seen in a way that's respectful, empathic, and um, interested in us, interested in understanding us, and we're really sensitive when some of those are lacking. And so, yeah, thanks. So, in the back, please. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask about uh, the two ways of uh, working with judgmental mind. Yeah. The uh, first is uh, mindfulness, and the uh, and going deep into the uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah darkness. Yeah. And uh, the other one was joy. Uh, or or going into what we call more positive qualities. Yeah, more yeah. positive qualities. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it uh, that the uh, positive qualities show up when the dark side is? Uh, Explored. Yeah, it's a great, great point. Um, um, yeah, and there, yeah. So it's not such a clean separation. Maybe that's your your point. Yeah, yeah. It's like one, two sides of one coin. Like. Yeah, they they eventually, you know, it's helpful to see that way because it can we can point to uh, point to some tools that are more on one side or the other. But you know the um, the second side, you know what I'm calling the positive qualities, 
uh, partly they're necessary to even explore the, uh, the judgments and, and go beneath the surface. So we need mindfulness as one of the more positive qualities. We don't just go in without tools. We don't just go in without resources. We need good resources and we might you know, spend a certain amount of time developing the resources before we even spend a lot of time going into them. So that's one thing. And then I think what you're also pointing to is that sometimes when we, um, when we have uh, explored, let's say, we, we come and uh, we realize, oh, I have this deep uh, limiting belief, anger is bad. When we actually uh, touch that, there can be a lot of understanding and even the joy of understanding, the joy of learning, right, can, can be there. And it can, uh, you know, the very act of going more deeply and transforming can open up uh, compassion, can open up a certain kind of wisdom. So it's like being with the hard stuff has its, uh, what, its gifts. Mm-hmm. Lot of, you know, that's one way to talk about it. I, uh, I cannot uh, imagine how can I uh, truly experience joy when in the back of my head there is this voice, oh, you, something, <laughs> saying yeah, yeah. that judgmental stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, it can be, uh, uh, luckily we do have the capacity to um, forget. <laughs> and so, we, it may not be the depths of joy, I think maybe that's your point. Uh, isn't like uh, the metaphor with the sun and the clouds, like the yeah. judgmental mind? Uh, is a cloud, yeah. Is a cloud and I, I do not get the access to the sun when there is a... Um, when the cloud's there. Yeah. yeah. So is this joy the... Do I have an access to the joy before I go into the darkness? I, um, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it may, it may not be the full mature joy, but there, you know, the clouds are not always there. Even, even though... Uh, or the, the clouds may be around, but still, sometimes the sun shines through. We couldn't, we couldn't exist otherwise. Okay, thank you. And then uh, uh, we have a few up front. I wanted to ask you what the inn was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Or is. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that, letting me complete. I realized I just had ray, <laughs> like a ray of sun. Uh, so, recognition. Uh, acceptance in the sense of non-resistance, uh, interest, inquiry, investigation, and the end expressed different ways, sometimes non-identification, not taking it personally. So it means sort of being able to explore, um, you know, with a lot of interest and without trying to make it a certain way, almost like you're a, a scientist to, to some extent. What? A scientist. You know, like you're just observing something with interest, and oh, let me look at that. Let me look at that pattern of the judgmental mind. So, yeah, we had, um, yeah, please. And then we have up front here. Yeah. Do you have any advice for dealing with uh, the daily judgments that it's so easy to uh, hold our senior leaders? 
Uh, is, for me, it's a serious issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel judged harshly by a lot of our people who are making decisions yeah. about our lives. Yeah. Uh, any advice? Yeah, yeah. Well, develop all the tools. <laughs> uh, that's part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, it's it's it can be a more intense example. Generally, a, a few things. Um, we, it's helpful in in looking at one's judgments to know which of the judgments, uh, uh, where they where they land according to maybe a scale of intensity, and and sometimes to work with the ones that are lesser intensity initially. You know, and, and, and sort of work up to the difficult ones. That's that's one point. Uh, in terms, certainly in terms of being with it, because when we're when we're mindful of what you you can try to be mindful. You can again use mindfulness in the ways that I mentioned. One of them is just the naming of it. So you can just name it. Oh, another judgment of a what public figure, right? And then you can explore it. What's it like? What's it What's it like to? Um, be judgmental, can you stay with it? Sometimes that's hard if it's real intense. But if you stay with it, again, what's it like in the body? What are the emotions? Uh, if it might be multiple emotions, where do they go? One of the things which I found, which I haven't brought out yet in the, in the, in the talk or discussion, is that, um, I think it could be implied, is that what I found that every expression of the judgmental mind, particularly the negative kind, is actually, because it's reactive, it's reactive in a way that's trying to push away something that's painful. That's how the react, that's why one's reactive, you know, in general. It's pushing away, it, it wants to push away something that's painful. In that sense, the judgmental mind is a kind of defense mechanism. It's interesting when you think of it. It's a very weird defense mechanism because it leads to incredible suffering. It's a little bit like foreign policy. You know, you know, it can be, you know, we're trying to defend ourselves, but it does all these weird things that get us into all sorts of problems, right? So judgmental mind is similar, right? And um, so what you can do is see if you can try to feel what's beneath the judgment, sometimes you'll tap into a pain, you know? That's what I did when I was working with the boss who was, not, I thought, not listening. I would be able to tap into it. I would feel, oh, that doesn't feel good not to be listened to. Ouch, right? doesn't feel good. And if you can do the same thing with, with that, you'll find that there's actually maybe some pain beneath that. And that's actually, if you can be with that, out of that can come compassion and then actually skillful action. The judgmental mind, in a way, makes it hard to act because we're caught in the reactivity. And what we really want to do in the situation you're describing is to act skillfully. And so sometimes we have to go and feel that pain, not hard to imagine what it is, you know, different kinds of pain in relation to what's happening. And then if you feel the pain, it tends to be healing of the judgmental mind. When you actually touch the pain there, it's one of the ways it works when you go deeper. You touch the pain, you might have to touch it a thousand times, but you touch it and it makes, out of that comes some compassion and then there can be a skillful action because you still have the discernment, right? 
but then it's coming from a different place. This is again one of the ways that we separate out the uh, discernment from the reactivity, is to just be with it and go deeply into it. We can touch something that's painful. Oh, I'm really sad. I'm using pain in a generic way, not to mean physical pain, but to mean something unpleasant, right? And we can actually touch. Oh, I'm really sad. I feel like a lot of the values I really uh, have, they're, they're threatened, right? I'm sad, I'm scared, and so forth. If you can touch that, that actually uh, can open you up to action. Whereas being with the judgmental mind will lock you in complaining and won't, won't go anywhere. So that get at it. So yeah. So I think you know. I think we're at time, aren't we? Because I think uh, I I would I wouldn't mind staying. Maybe I could stay for a while if you have other questions. But I think for the for the group and the uh, live stream, I think it's good to finish now. So let's just end. I'll end with two things. First, just to reflect on what may have been helpful from the evening and how you might uh, take anything that's important to you that came from the evening, how you might take it further. What's your intention coming out of the evening? And then we close with the very traditional dedication of merit, which many of you know. We invite the benefits of the evening to be there for each of us, to be shared with people in our lives, and then to be offered beyond the boundaries of our hall, beyond the boundaries of Spirit Rock. May the benefits of our evening be offered to all beings. To benefit their growing well-being and freedom. Always remembering that we are part of all beings. Insights and great stories on this topic, let me know. I'm working on a book on this. <laughs> Thank you.